Might as well overeat dessert instead of letting it go to waste. <laughs> That's true. That's the philosoph- well, philosophy I've lived by my whole life. And I live by that. <laughs> Golden rule, never waste a dessert. Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing chapter 21 of Assassin's Quest, Confrontations. The beginning of this episode, this chapter, starts with a discussion on diplomacy and how, and secrets in general, and how it's mainly manipulating secrets that is throughout all of the negotiations in life. Right. There is no action that takes place between humans in which secrets do not play a part, whether it be a game of cards or the selling of a cow. And it is King Shrewd's words of wisdom that he lives by that says the most powerful secrets to have is your enemy's secrets that he thinks you are ignorant of. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't have much to say about this, to be honest. (laughs) I think it's really interesting how much this actually plays part of the episode coming forward. I mean, usually all of the epigraphs have something to do with what we're about to read. But this felt very entwined with what we have to read. So it was like a very interesting little quip. I think it also points to the fact that the farseers in general are secret hoarders. (laughs) Especially Chade. He lives... That's what he dealt with his whole life. That's That was his job, really. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think Fitz falls far from the tree either. True. Although he'd like to think of himself as not someone who has a ton of secrets or keeps things from people. He's just as bad. <laughs> so we start the chapter with... Fitz kind of coming in and out of consciousness again. Um, We left off last week with him passing out after talking with the fool and kind of learning the gaps of the story that we haven't got to her got to hear up until this point. So he, he kind of burned like we were talking, at least I mentioned (laughs) last chapter it feels like he wasn't good enough to or like well enough to right. have that long of a conversation. And in the beginning of this chapter, he has the line that says, either my brief talk with the fool had burned my last reserves or I finally felt safe enough to surrender my injury. Perhaps it was both because for the next few days, he was very disjointed and much more unaware of what was going on beside that lucid day where he conversed with the fool. Right. There are, are much fewer conversations that Fitz takes active roles in. He hears them, but he isn't able to really bring much to the table. And it's all a little disjointed. It does give a good feeling of this like weird place Fitz is in health-wise because he is burning up with fever. There's poison spreading through his body, and he has no idea if he's going to get better or when. Right. 
And so the first one of those many conversations is him overhearing a conversation between Joffrin and the fool. And Joffrin is bringing up that Kettle wants to see him, meaning Fitz and the fool, basically, because she's there to see the white prophet. Yes. And the fool says, tell her she is mistaken then. Tell her I am the white toy maker. Tell her the white prophet lives farther down the street, five doors down on the left. And there's this this blunt refusal from the fool, just like, no, we're not going to see anyone here. We're not going to, you know, I'm not going to accept anybody in. And he's trying to respect Fitz's wishes to not say to anyone that he's there. Right. That it is Fitz there. Right. Because Fitz's only request during their night of drinking had been, don't let anybody know that I'm alive. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, And we know that this is Kettle because there is also a minstrel with her demanding to see Fitz and saying that she knows he's there. Yes. Fitz, in hearing this conversation, is a little distressed because he didn't necessarily mean that Kettle and Starling needed to be turned away because he already told them he would be there. They know he's here, which I think is an interesting thought process for him because he wants to go forward on his own and he doesn't want any of the people who have loved him for years to know that he's alive but these basically strangers sure why not let him know come in he did have a reflection about that how when he met Ketrikin it would be all different from Kettle and Starling you know figuring out who he was Actually, because they had known him before and it would just be that much of a bigger shock. And that's where the reflection of hands came in and seeing that look of revulsion, disgust, fear on his face. He didn't want that to reflect onto any of the people that he knew before either. So these new people, they just know him as he is now. And it's a miracle he's alive. But the other ones would be like, how are you alive? Right. It's. Definitely a thin line that is completely made up in Fitz's head, (laughs) but he is walking it as best he can. Yes. And Starling knows that he is in this village because, as you guys remember, they split up and Fitz said, I will try to make my way to Jean-Pay, but they don't know anything that befell him is because Starling was talking to the children and the children know everything and tell everything, according to the fool and Joffrin. So... She knows that Fitz is there, but the fool says I have but one choice to lie to them. Right. This also is interesting because it starts off this really negative relationship between Starling and the fool. Mm -hmm. And also kind of starts on this path of Starling going from this really interesting character who is very sure of herself, who has a more positive light to her and it pivots into a more annoying character. Yeah. It's not as bad this chapter as I think it gets later, but it definitely is laying the groundwork to make Starling a little bit more insufferable rather than a fun, lighthearted mood lightener. I don't know. (laughs) No, it's definitely true because the next scene is the fool and Starling having A one-sided argument where the fool is just calmly saying, no, you can't come in, and then at the end kind of kicks her out. Because she is, again, at the door, and Fitz wakes back in, 
and hears her trying to get in to see him. Right. The fool is saying that she can't come in because he's sleeping. And she says, well, I'd still like to see him. And he says, yes, but if I let you see him, then you're going to want to touch him. And then you're going to want to stay until he wakes up. And it just the list goes on and on. And I really can't have you coming in. And Starling's having none of it. She needs to see him now. And he says, well, I'll show you something back up (laughs) and then slams the door in her face and says, the outside of my door. I painted it myself. (laughs) Do you like it? (laughs) Which I thought was pretty funny. This jovial fool after the harsh past couple chapters we've had is really nice. I think it's a good mood lightener, but also this chapter kind of gets a little rough so it's nice to start off at least with some... You could say that about any chapter. That's true. Honest, so. That's true. I but think you is, have. Yeah. <laughs> but it is good to have more jokey. I laughed at these passages because the fool is kind of funny. And part of this conversation here with Starling before he slams the door on her is her being very tactless about how she's trying to get information she says, you know, I, I know who you are. You're not a toy maker. And I know who he truly is. And the fool has to rebut. Yes, you and Kettle know our great secret. I am the white prophet and he is Tom the shepherd. The fool is trying to subtly remind her, like, we don't talk about any of that. He is Tom the shepherd. That's right. it. And she has to continue on and say, that's not what I meant. Lowering her voice, but it carried anyway. He is fit chivalry, son of chivalry, the abdicated. And you are the fool. And the fool says, yeah, perhaps I was once the fool. No longer. I'm the toy maker. As for Tom, I believe he takes the title bed bolster these days. So reinforcing that this is Tom. I could have been the, the fool and the way prophet. Yes. But you're welcome to take up that mantle now if you'd like. <laughs> yes. And then she threatens to go see the queen about that. And I think that's the, the important part of this conversation. And the fool says, you know, yeah, you can go and become her fool. So step back and I need to show you something and slams the door. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting thing where I think Starling's bolstering is coming from the fact that she doesn't know what's going on. 100 percent. She doesn't know the history between Fitz and the Fool. Not really anybody does besides Jade, I think. Maybe Ketrickin. But she doesn't know that they are good friends and Maybe she is worried about him. She knows he was hurt. All the kids have probably told her that much. And she's hoping he's getting better, but she hasn't seen him at all. And also she came all this way for him. Yes. And she hasn't been able to see him. He's her ticket in this city. So she threatens to go to the queen and the fool comes back to reassure Fitz. Like, don't worry. It's going to be a long time before she sees the queen. The queen doesn't see many people right now. Right. And I think that is a misunderstanding on the fool's part because he doesn't know Starling. Right. Starling's not just going to take a no for an answer, which he kind of sees at his own door, but he's also not royalty and therefore probably assumes she would have more class. he, he He doesn't know her in general. He doesn't know her willingness to be confident in her knowledge and convince other people of that confidence. Right. And she does have charisma and people do like her. I mean, she's a minstrel. That's her job. Right. But yeah, so in reading this, I do kind of, I probably will be reminding people to go easy on both of them (laughs) Yeah. because 
These are two worlds colliding and neither of them fully knows the scope of what's going on. They're both protective in their own ways. Yes. And even though Starlings isn't super healthy, I mean, I think she's trying her best and she's just scared. And I give her credit for that. But it is annoying the way that she chooses to act on her worriedness. Mm-hmm. So we get a little excerpt of Fitz in Night Eyes's head because he escapes some of his uh, fainting and in and out of consciousness with Night Eyes as usual, but more so because he's healing. And I do want to point out one phrase or passage in this little paragraph here, this section, because they're sitting up on the hills watching children play. And they say in their head, envious, we never had any other cubs to play with while we were growing. It is like an itch, the desire to race down and join in. They would be frightened. We caution ourselves, only watch. Will our she-cub grow to be like these, we wonder? Braided hair flies behind as they race through the snow, chasing one another. And so that's a it's a unique mixture of both Night Eyes and Fitz's heads there. Right. And their thoughts, because neither of them really had anyone to play with while they were growing up. Neither of them had any real friends. Fitz had it for a brief, you know, few years with right. the, uh, the town. But that was maybe like once a month or something like that. Yeah, there was no regularity in this playfulness and night eyes did have cubs for a time because he had siblings. Um, but like maybe weeks at most right? before they were taken from him. So it is interesting seeing how similar they are and the things that they wish for. And I think it does also play to the fact that they're so well suited, probably why they match so well as wit partners. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's definitely interesting, these little intersperses of Fitz going into Night Eyes. And then we have the fool waking Fitz up and having a serious conversation with him because the fool had just got done dining with Chade and Ketrickin and Chade had tidings for them that there was a Farseer heir baby available in the Six Touchies still in Buck. So... Chade tells them of Molly's child, that is Fitz's child. Right. And he, Chade says, he he doesn't mention Molly or any of the names, but he says it's of the same lineage as Verity and Chivalry. He swears it is so. And so the fool is very animated about this because Fitz has not mentioned his child at all. Right. And so this reinvigorates the fool's whole vision. We kind of talked about this last episode as well, how he needed an heir. With Fitz, he has more hope because there's still that slim possibility, but with an heir, there's even more of a chance. Right. That means that there can be or should be an heir to the Farseer throne besides Regal being the last one. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting thing because we know that Fitz's heir, dutiful, is going to be the person who brings back ice fire, which helps repopulate dragons. I wonder if some air has to be there for that to happen at all, because we know that ice fire is being slowly covered in ice completely. He's still somewhat visible, barely, but I think this is like the last chance to be able to dig the dragon out. Right. And 
that's such an interesting thought that without a farseer heir, this male dragon would die and then there would only be a female dragon and it would be harder to have children. I mean, yeah. <laughs> dragons are not asexual, so they cannot reproduce alone. Yeah. Yeah, it's really an interesting dynamic that I don't know if it's something that the Farseer line has to be part of, but apparently they are needed because this is like the fool's big thing. Mm -hmm. He has been adamant about an heir since Fitz, well, before Fitz knew about Molly. Before Fitz was even in the picture, before the fool found Fitz. Right. And I should say it's not about Fitz's heir specifically, just a farseer heir. Yes. And so the fool mentions that Chade's plan was for Ketrikin to claim this child as her own. And then that heir would be the ruler of the six duchies. And Fitz is kind of paralyzed by this. My daughter, I knew, kept safe and hidden, guarded by Biric, to be sacrificed to the throne taken from Molly and given to the queen. My little girl, whose name I didn't even know, taken to be a princess and in time a queen, put beyond my reach forever. So the fool wants confirmation, or or at least fits his thoughts on this. Right. Because the fool knows, and later it's confirmed, that it has to be Fitz who is the father. Right. But Fitz lies to his friend. The uncertainty I had hoped for spread across the fool's face. The child was born at the end of harvest, too late for Verity to have sired it before he left on his quest. Ketrickin grasped it faster than I did. He spoke almost gently. You must be the father. When Ketrickin asked Chade directly, he said as much. You did not know? I shook my head slowly. What was honor to one such as I? Bastard and assassin, what claim did I have to nobility of soul? I spoke the lie I would always despise. I could not have fathered a child born at harvest. Molly had turned me out of her bed months before she left Buck. I tried to keep my voice steady as I spoke. If the mother is Molly and she claims the child is mine, she lies. I strove to be sincere as I added, I am sorry, fool. I have fathered no farseer heir for you, nor do I intend to. It was no effort to let my voice choke and tears missed my eyes. Strange, I shook my head against the pillow, that such a thing could bring me such pain, that she should she could seek to pass the babe off as mine. I closed my eyes. The fool spoke gently. As I understand it, she has made no claims for the child. As of yet, I believe she knows nothing of Chade's plan. And fool begs to be alone. Fitz begs. Fitz, Fitz begs to be alone, excuse me, of the fool. I was reading, just now, fool, I would be alone. <laughs> <laughs> I prayed he would believe my lie, even as I despised myself for the foul thing I had said of Molly. And he's just hoping at least, you know, they would not take their child from Molly. That's what he's hoping for. He doesn't want another farseer to be used like he was. Right. And the idea is that... If Molly ever hears of this lie, hopefully he would have been able to be there to explain, or at the very least, she would still have their daughter. So 
he would have succeeded and she would have at least given him credit for that. Right. So he falls into a, a skill dream. Feeling no less like a traitor. Yes. And I do think that it's a little sad that he lies to his friend. I know that Fitz knows that the fool wants there to be an heir, but the fool hasn't ever really said why or that they have to rule even just that there needs to be an heir. And Fitz isn't even giving the fool a chance to explain what it is that the fool wants out of this situation. He's just deciding I can make all the decisions. I'm keeping everyone out of it and I will lie instead of trusting a friend who is giving up his bed to and time to help make me better. I think that's a little unfair to Fitz because the fool always says I need a farseer heir. And what is Fitz to assume other than well, an heir to the Farseer line, which means the Farseer throne, so it's going to be used for royalty. That's like the only thing that Fitz can assume but, to, to the fool saying that. But why? The fool has never made any... Because of his whole life, his whole life's context. That's everything that it is. If you are recognized as a Farseer heir, you are recognized as a, as a Farseer, which means you are a royal... And he knows from experience in his family that if you are a farseer, you don't get to choose your life. You don't get to have a life with your your mother or anything. So I I can forgive him this lie, even though I hated it as well. I just don't think you're giving enough credit to Fitz of how scared he is for the future of his child. I agree that he is scared for the future of his child, but he's not a recognized Farseer heir and he's still being used. So I don't see how that means that it has to be in line for the throne because he's never been in line for the throne. Yeah, but he was kept in the castle. Molly is away from the castle at this point. Sure. I don't know. It just, I feel like she's a Farseer heir, whether or not he claims her or he has been claimed at least give the fool the hope that she's out there. I don't know. I just think it's a dumb semantic. I'm not saying that you are dumb for have thought thinking that or that Fitz is dumb. It's just the idea of it all is dumb because that's clearly not what has ever been said to be needed. And I get that he has trauma and a past that he's drawing on that is different than the whole that I have as a reader. I just get frustrated that like he has the, so little faith in his friend that even if that was the fool's plan, he couldn't talk the fool out of it. He just has to lie. Why would why would Fitz trust the life of his daughter to a friend? He in, is in right now with Burek. <laughs> right. I know. But that's his father. That's not a, a friend. And he can't do anything about that. He. He knows that the fool has a grand vision and has plans and he's filled with portentous dread at multiple points with conversations with the fool. He's great friends with the fool. He loves the fool. And yet he doesn't want his daughter mixed in with anything at all regarding his previous life or the Farseers. He doesn't want her touched by anything that could be possibly related to the Farseers. Yeah, I don't know. I just hate it because it's it's so extreme 
there, which is, I guess is, yeah. fits in in a nutshell is yeah. <laughs> taking everything to the extreme. Nothing can ever be in the gray area. And the, that's where the fool lives is <laughs> gray areas. I just, it frustrates me that rather than talk it out, he like bad mouths Molly and then is like, oh, woe is me. I'm so, I feel so bad for having to say this mean thing. It's like, well, you didn't have to. You could have trusted your friend, but okay. But I get what you're saying that he the can't. Fool, the fool isn't very transparent with what he wants no, either. He's just like, too. I need an heir. Right. That's, that, I, that's also fair. It's a little Rumpelstiltskin of him. Yes. <laughs> but like, uh, I just, I hate... I hate the way that Fitz, especially in this chapter, just has so little disregard for everybody else's choices. It's never about choices other people can make. It's all, they all have one choice they can make that he is predetermined for them. And he is going to do anything to keep them from making that choice that they haven't even made yet. And instead of trying to convince them not to make that choice, he just lies and manipulates and then gets sad when they all find out the truth inevitably. I don't know. It just this chapter for me made me really mad at Fitz because he spends so much of his time deceiving his friends. I don't know. It just I understand why he does and I'm not going to hold it over him forever. But I am frustrated that he doesn't even try. Mm, I feel bad for him this chapter. Okay, Most of the time. I do feel I mean, I feel pity for him, too, but I don't know. I'm also frustrated. So after his lie to the fool, he has a skill dream of Verity. I dreamed a dream at once vivid and stultifying, which is a word that I hadn't read for since the last time I read this book, I think. (laughs) I chipped black stone. That was the entire dream, but it was endless in its monotony. I was using a dagger as a chisel and a rock as a hammer. My fingers were scabbed and swollen from the many times my grip had slipped and I'd struck them instead of the dagger hilt. But it didn't stop me. I chipped black stone and waited for someone to come and help me. We know that's Verity. He's sitting there chipping away at his future stone dragon, but not really knowing what to do at this point. Right. I'm guessing he has been at it for a while, but not very very long right i don't think that he has like you said been on it for too long especially because later doesn't he doesn't he just use his skill soaked hands to form the rock or am he, i he still it? he chisels still okay. um he uses his sword when fitz finds him so he he's using okay. his dagger right now and then he uses the skill soaked hands to add details and pass his hands along okay. the edge of the uh, the stone to give it more shape and color and give his memories to it. So he still manually carves it. Okay. I guess that was something I didn't super remember. But I will ask this question, which is probably not something that we will ever know, but is the magic stone so magic that it gives you the ability to carve it into something that like looks the way you want it to probably because I can't imagine that if you're a really bad artist yeah. or sculptor <laughs> like this looks like misshapen also <laughs> I'm pretty sure I mean I have never tried it myself but I am pretty sure that 
chiseling stone is really hard. It's like super easy to crack it and like make mistakes or something. Who I'm, knows what the skill stones like? I though. am basing this solely off of one episode of SpongeBob. So like, <laughs> <laughs> who knows? A but great you're factual base there. Yes, yes. Um, but also, I feel like if anybody could just like pick up a dagger and hammer it and make something, like there would be way more statues in the world. So. <laughs> It just, there has it's to magic, be something special. Yes. It is magic. Maybe that's, maybe the rubbing with the skill hand is like what fine tunes it. You said it brings the details. So maybe that like helps shape it better. Yeah, maybe, maybe. He says he awakes one evening to find Kettle sitting by his bed. So Kettle is let in and she notices that he's awake, shakes her head at him and says, I should have guessed. From all your strangeness, you were bound for the white prophet yourself. She leaned closer and spoke in a whisper. You will not allow Starling in to see you. He says you are too weak for so lively a visitor, and that you wish no one to know you are here just yet. But I'll take word of you to her, shall I? I closed my eyes. As we find out later, he, she takes his earring there yes. and brings it to Starling, and Starling brings it to Ketcherkin. But that is the moment right there where that happens. And as he comes back to consciousness again, uh, Kettle is still there. He hears knocking on the door and the fool is going to go get it. But Kettle starts to open the door and Starling bursts in. Right. Also, Fitz makes mention that he can feel this willow bark tea sloshing around inside of his belly and he is over it he does yeah. <laughs> not want any more but he is very thirsty so starling comes bursting in and she you know makes a look at the fool like ha i got in and he just acts like he had never had a problem with her coming in welcome which i think is more of a a way to mask that he's uncomfortable with her and his space Fitz can sense a type of satisfaction coming off of her. She has done something and she's very proud of it and can't wait to brag, which is made clear because she almost immediately starts bragging. But first she goes to Fitz and said that I'm finally here to see you. I wasn't allowed to before. And how are you doing today? And all Fitz can manage is it's too cold in here and I've lost my earring. And this is where Fitz notices that he doesn't have his earring anymore. He is still overcome by fever, so he can't quite remember why the earring is important, but it makes him sick to his stomach to know that it's gone. She's very concerned with how he's doing, feels his head for a fever, and accuses the fool of you know, not taking care of him. Like, why aren't you giving him more willow bark tea, that sort of thing. And the fool just has to say... If you can get him to drink any more of it, you're a better man than I. Another curl of wood. That would not be hard, Starling said in an ugly little voice. Then, in a kinder tone to me, your earring isn't lost. See, I have it right here. Fitz has to ask why she had it, and she admits that I asked Kettle to bring it to me, she told me bluntly. When he would not let me in to see you, I had to have a token, something to prove to Ketrikin that all I told her was true. I have been to her and spoken to her and her counselor this very day. Ketrikin, what have you done? I cried in dismay. What have you told her? Starling looked startled. 
Why, all she must know so that she will help you on your quest. That you are truly alive, that Verity is not dead, and that you will seek him. That word must be sent to Molly that you are alive and well, so that she shall not lose heart, but will keep your child safe until you return. That I trusted you, I cried out. I trusted you with my secrets and you have betrayed me. What a fool I've been, I cried out in despair. All, all was lost. No, I am the fool, he broke into our conversation. He walked slowly across the room and stood looking down on me. The more so that I had believed you trusted me, it seems. Your child, he said to himself, a true child of Farseer lineage. You know what such tidings mean to me. Why? Why lie to me? I had to lie, to keep her mine. The child is mine, not a Farseer heir, I cried out desperately. Mine and Molly's, a child to grow and love, not a tool for a kingmaker. And Molly must not hear I am alive from any save me. Starling, how could you have done this to me? Why was I such an idiot? Why did I talk of such things at all to anyone? And then Ketrickin sweeps in. Well, first Starling shows that her feelings are hurt and says, I but sought to help you, to help you do what you must do. That woman has a right to know that her husband is alive. And then Ketrickin comes in. So Fitz has managed to hurt both of his friends in this small, short time. And in this moment, I feel a little bad for him because clearly the fever is taking over. He's not thinking super clearly. And maybe that's part of what pushed him into immediately lying to the fool instead of taking time. I mean, he can't remember why the earring is important to him. Right. He just knows he has to keep his daughter safe. But I do feel bad because... Starling wasn't told not to tell Ketrickin, and Fitz changed his mind about letting anyone know he was alive after telling Ketrick or after telling Starling she was right, people would have to know he's alive so right. that Molly could get word. Mm-hmm. She actually he specifically said that he would have to tell the Queen and Chade, I think out loud to her. So as far as Starling knows, that's what he wants. And the fool is keeping that from him. She doesn't know about the change of heart and she thought she was doing what was right. And so I do feel bad for her in this moment because I think she truly thought that she was doing the right thing. And I feel bad for the fool because he has to be betrayed in some small way by his friend I don't know. I And I guess I also feel bad for Fitz. <laughs> he is struggling with this horrible wound and is on the brink of fever and nobody will let him just heal. They all have to talk to him about important things while he's raging with fever. And that's not fair. So Ketrickin sweeps in and there's more familiar faces coming in through the door. And that little hut is pretty crowded with staring familiar faces. Including Chade. Yeah, but no one smiled. No welcome, no joy. Only the savage emotions that I had awakened with all the changes I had wrought. Thus the catalyst greeted. No one wore any expression I'd hoped to see. None save Chade. He crossed over. We get a description of him looking uh, pretty good with a warrior's tail and a band of leather across his brow and centered on his forehead was a medallion of silver. A buck with antlers lowered to charge. The sigil Verity had given to me. 
says, Oh, my boy, my boy, I believed you were dead. When Birik sent me word he had found your body, I thought my heart would break. The words we had when we last parted. But here you are, alive, if not well. And Fitz has to immediately ask him, Would you truly take my daughter for the throne? Another bastard for the Farseer line. Would you have let her be used as we have been used? I feel bad because... Chade obviously loves his grandson or grandnephew. Grandnephew. Um, I mean, the first thing he does when Actually, he sees. Yeah, grandnephew. Yeah. I was going to say grandfather's just nephew. brother. Yeah, yeah, it's grandnephew. Yeah. But the first thing he does when he sees Fitz is walk over to him and say, I'm so happy you're alive. And he kisses Fitz and he gives him a hug and like, the way that family does when you've been gone for a long time. This is the reaction that Fitz didn't even imagine could happen for him. And here Chade is giving him love and ignoring the fact that Fitz kept his be his self being alive a secret. I think Chade of all the people here is in the position most able to understand Fitz. Yeah. hundred percent to understand the thought process that it would take to keep yourself dead after being mm -hmm. described as dead to everyone. And so I think that's why he is the only person who can like look past all the mistakes, <laughs> but this asking of would you really do to my daughter? What was done to us is enough to kind of have him take a step back and say, you know, I, I, I will do whatever I have to. Yeah. To make sure the six duchies survives because I'm sworn to it and you are too. And that kind of ends this joyous moment, this little bit of happiness Fitz gets because it is immediately filled with worry for his child. His belief in me was such that he would not hesitate to plunge me into any battle, that he would expect any sacrifice of me. A dry sob suddenly racked me and tore at the arrow in my back. There is no end, I cried out. That duty will hound me into death. Better I were dead. Let me be dead then. I snatched my hand away from Chade, heedless of how that motion hurt. Leave me. He is burning with fever, he said accusingly to the fool. He doesn't know what he's saying. You should have given him willow bark tea. A terrible smile crooked the fool's lips. Before he could reply, there was a sharp shredding sound. A gray head was forced through the greased hide window, flashing a muzzle full of white teeth. Night Eyes comes in, standing protectively before Fitz, growling at them all, saying, I will kill them all for you if you say so. I dropped my head down to my pillows, my clean wild wolf. This was what I had made of him. Was it any better than what Chade had made of me? I looked around them again. Chade was standing, his face very still. Every single face held some shock, for sadness, some sadness, some disappointment that I was responsible for. Despair and fever shook me. I'm sorry, I said weakly. I have never been what you thought I was, I confessed. Never. But I shall go and find Verity, somehow. I will bring him back to you, not because I am what you believe me to be, I added, slowly lifting my head. I saw hope kindle in Ch Chade's face, but because I have no choice, I have never had any choices. 
Night Eyes reacts to the despair and the anger that Fitz is feeling, rushes in to defend his brother. Right. And I won't fault Fitz for not noticing because he is having a bit of a bad moment. Um, But I bet people are reacting because a wolf just broke through the window and is growling at them. Not necessarily anything he did. Although he did do some things that made people upset, I think more so (laughs) upsetting would be where the heck did this wolf come from and are we going to be attacked? Well, I I think that's what he is talking about, actually, because it's final actual confirmation in real life that he is witted. And that's what he's apologizing apologizing for and saying, I've never been what you thought I was to everybody in the room because he's ashamed of that. And he was brought up to be ashamed about that. He was witted. Doesn't everybody in the room already know besides Ketrickin and maybe no Kettle definitely knows. So like Ketrickin and maybe the fool and the fool probably knew if not confirmed. So like, I don't know. (laughs) I feel like everybody already knows. It's not a surprise. It just feels like one of those things where Fitz always assumes the worst. And I think this is a really good moment to capitalize on for the fact that Fitz isn't a super reliable narrator because there are a lot of emotions going around right now for a lot of different reasons. And I think after Fitz's outburst of him crying because he doesn't want his daughter to be taken away from him and because the duty is like is worse than death to him that he will never live up to this expectation i think that would be heartbreaking to hear from all of his friends that that's how he feels is that he doesn't have any choices that he has to be this thing everybody else wants him to be and that he doesn't feel like there's an end to it and that is clearly why he wants to protect his daughter i feel like assuming that they're all making faces at him because they're mad is kind of a stretch. There's a lot of information going around, a lot of feelings, and I don't think that just because people can't, I don't know, are frustrated with some of the situations he's put them in doesn't necessarily mean that that would override their concern from somebody they all so clearly care about. Besides maybe Kettle, I don't know how much she cares about Fitz. So when he mentions Verity, Ketrickin sweeps forward and says, do you believe he's alive? Fitz confirms that, and she goes in asking a bunch of different questions, and Fitz is losing strength rapidly and starts an answer and then can't respond. Night Eye starts to whine and growl, and the fool's like, all right, everybody out. That's that's enough for today. Well, (laughs) Starling tells people to leave. (laughs) And Fool agrees and then laments that everybody else gets to leave and he has to stay. Yes, yes. So Fitz falls back into unconsciousness, back into Night Eyes. And we get a little scene of Night Eyes describing the scentless one, uh, wanting to go to the door to go out hunting. And the Fool being very careful, reaching over and opening up the door and letting him out and putting more, you know, deer hide over the window that he broke in, things like that. They're kind of have an uneasy truce at the moment. I think this little passage from Nida's point of view makes me wonder if this is fully fits being wolf. Um, It does talk about how 
Um, he knows that the door will open to somewhere. That's why he goes to it. And then he ends with, it feels good to stretch my muscles again. And I flee the pain in the stuffy hut and the body that does not work to the wild sanctuary of flesh and fur. And I feel like that's very solely fits. Yeah. There's also door. Part of us knows that it is a door and we go to it to whine softly. So I, I feel like it's, it's a lot of night eyes at this point, but the relief of the body is obviously fits and that's right. what he longs to escape. Most of the times he does go to night eyes. Right. So he wakes up again saying, I'm sorry, fool. And the fool is counting up every time he says sorry to him. The fool is kind of there just having him drink or patting him down or like taking care of him next to it. And obviously he's been doing this in his fever dreams because the fool doesn't even know like he's actually conscious right. and awake right now. The first sorry is number 32. So that tells you a little bit about how long he's been doing that or not because maybe Fitz is saying it a lot all at once. Who knows? Yes. And once the fool realizes that he's actually awake, he says... Oh, 33 I'm sorry's to various people, but the greatest number of them to me. 17 calls for Birik. I lost counts of your calls for Molly, I'm afraid. And a grand total of 62 I'm coming, Faradies. I must be driving you crazy. I'm sorry. 34. No, you've just been raving rather monotonously. It's the fever, I suppose. And they uh, have a little conversation. Fitz says, Chade hasn't been back to see me, and the fool kind of sighs and says, no one has, and the healer kind of yelled at everybody, <laughs> saying they should have just let you rest, because your arrow is coming out tomorrow. He also mentions that now Chade and Ketrickin have a lot to talk about, because Verity being alive has changed everything. Um, they no longer are hellbent on choosing to lie about Molly's child being Ketrickin's child or that it is one of Verity's bastards. It, that is on the back burner again. That is not needed at the moment. Well, it's, they don't know anything about those plans and the fool doesn't either because they're both excluded from it. And that's still the main plan that is brought up later. It's just, it's a, Backup, but it's still gonna go forward until it needs to be the backup. Well, is, the fool is kind of, or sorry, the plan is kind of brought up by Fitz though, because Fitz isn't letting it go. He wants to make sure his daughter will be safe. I think that the, it's kind of off the table with Verity being alive. In in the next chapter, when he confronts Ketrickin and talks to Ketrickin, Ketrickin specifically brings up like, we're gonna go ahead and bring. Molly and her child here. We're going to take care of her. She is going to be the heir. Uh, and Fitz is like, but Verity's alive. I'll bring him back. And she's like, I can't, I can't go off of hopes anymore. I have to have a solid plan. So it, it's, yes, it is a backup plan, but it is going forward. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I guess I didn't read next chapter yet. So yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure I got the context of everything we were talking about. So looked ahead a little bit, which I guess it's a rereading podcast right i mean it's not it's not spoiling anything yeah, it's, it's good to have ahead. that information i just if i read all of the chapters i can't separate which chapter has what specifically right. yeah i mean i have trouble with that too 
But yeah, so Fitz wallows in self-pity here saying, you know, I guess they don't trust me anymore. Not that I blame them. Everyone hates me now. The sort of typical self-pity that we have gotten through all of Fitz's life. The fool says, oh, not everyone hates you. Only me, really. His cynical smile reassured me. Secrets, he said, and sighed. Someday I shall write a long philosophical treatise on the power of secrets, when kept or told. Fitz wants some more brandy. The fool's like, well, the healer, probably you probably shouldn't. The healer would be probably mad if you got drunk again. <laughs> right. He also has acid courtesy in his voice now, overladen with honey. And is offering Fitz Willowbark tea instead. And... Fitz tries to say, well, my fever has gone down. I, I should get more. And I think what is supposed to be a pretty low blow from the fool comes when he arches an eyebrow at Fitz and says, Burek would be so proud of you. <laughs> Emphasis on the so. But he goes and gets him whiskey. Or brandy, sorry. It's... I think the fool is really hurt here and Fitz kind of isn't noticing. I mean, yeah, I, he's not very aware at the moment. Right. He never really is fully, you know, cognizant of all the actions and the reactions that happen around him. But right now he's really not aware. Right. Well, I wonder if part of that is because Fitz can't seem to work out when the fool is being a friendly joking and uh, angry joking. <laughs> yeah. Because the fool's kind of always a little sarcastic in a mean way. I feel like as the reader, I am able to make out the difference between when the fool is mad or just joking. But I can see Fitz not being able to get the nuance because he can't read the fool's emotions the way he does with other people. We know that his wit doesn't work on the fool. And so probably it is really hard for him to understand how the fool is feeling. Right. Because he does kind of use that as a crutch in interacting with everybody else. And so Fitz apologizes to the fool and explains his side of, I just want my daughter to do regular little girl things. I don't want her to be a farseer heir. Because then she would be at risk. She'd have to be guarded and taught to fear, to weigh every word and consider every action. Why should she? She isn't truly a royal heir, only a bastard's bastard. I said those harsh words with difficulty and vowed never to let anyone say them to her face. Why should she be put in such danger? It would be one thing if she were born in a palace and had a hundred soldiers to guard her. But she has only Molly and Birik. Birik is with them? If Chade chose Birik, it is because he thinks him the equal of a hundred guards, but far more discreet, the fool observed. Did he know how that would wrench me? I think this is one of the big misunderstandings of Fitz. Fitz thinks if his daughter doesn't know about the danger, that she will never be in danger. That True. If I keep her away from the farseers, she will never learn to fear anything and therefore will have a better life. Except ignorance is not bliss. It just puts her at more danger because she doesn't have the opportunity to guard herself. There's a nugget of truth in that argument that Fitz makes, though, because if she stays far away from the farseers, that means the farseers 
didn't claim her or give no knowledge of her. So she's not known as a farseer and would just have the normal risk that a village girl would have. I suppose. So there is a nugget of truth to that argument, but it is naive, like you said. So the fool and the fits have a conversation about how Chade must have sent Burek along the whole time. And the fool agrees with him and says, I've been putting pieces together, counting back the time. And he thinks that Patience suspected, and that's why she sent Molly to assist with Birik when Birik was injured, even though both Patience and Birik knew that he didn't need much help at all. Because Birik is a good person to confide in. He's a good listener. He doesn't talk back much. He's a good companion for somebody who's troubled because they can just talk about their problems and he might give a couple word answers, you know? Right. He's pretty <laughs> He's quiet. steady. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so the fool recounts the day that they were all up in Birik's room before Fitz got there and said that, you know, Molly said she told me she was leaving, that the fool eavesdropped on Molly and Birik. And the conversation was Molly insisting that Birik could get some sort of herb, which we know is um, to. It's the the birth control herb or whatever that she was talking about. Basically plan B. Yes. That patients said like isn't reliable at all. Right. And so Birik is saying like, no, I'm not going to do that. And finally he promised her that he would tell no one and bade her to think well and do what she wished to do, not what she thought was wisest. They said no more. So I went in. She excused herself and departed. And later you came and said she had left you. He paused. Actually, looking back, I was as dull-witted as you not to have worked it out just from that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it. I feel bad because clearly Molly was in a tight position and it kind of feels like she was being used just as much as Fitz. With all of the background knowledge of that people were pulling strings to get her with Burek. Kind of. Yeah, because when Birik went to Chade saying that, like, Molly is pregnant, Chade insisted, like, hey, go go with Molly. Right. And convinced him to do that. And then also convinced him to move in to the cabin in the winter. Right. Um. Also, I will just, as a reminder for anybody trying to remember when the fool would have gone to Birik's cabin or loft i don't know um it was after he had been beaten pretty badly by regal's men yes um so he was going to burek to get help healing yep and that the and the fitz had found him on the stairs i believe up to the queen's garden and that's when he was looking for the, the stuff there i think the fool is waiting for fitz in his room was it? Oh, it was that time. Okay. Yes. There's been a couple times where he got beat up. So yes, but this but yeah. one was the worst. <laughs> yeah, but Fitz told him to go to Birix to get healing because he knows that the fool didn't like the normal healers. So with this revelation, Fitz tells the fool that he would give anything to go back in time so that he could tell Molly that. 
their child would be the most important thing in the world above king and a king or country. And then Fool asks, oh, so you would have left Buckkeep that day? And then Fitz realizes, no, he wouldn't have. He still had things that he had to do. So the Fool makes the comment that he knows Fitz couldn't have made that choice. And then says, you see, no one can avoid fate. Not as long as we are trapped in time's harness anyway. And... He said more softly, no child can avoid the future that fate decrees. Not a fool, not a bastard, not a bastard's daughter. And so Fitz has to ask, so you know something of her future. And the fool is just like, yep, but that's like my curse. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he says yes and no. Right. He just knows about the Farseer heir. It might not even be her. Yes, he says, that's how it is for me. I know something of a Farseer's heir. If that heir is she, then doubtless, years from now, I shall read some ancient prophecy and say, ah, yes, there it is. It was foretold how it would come to be. No one truly understands a prophecy until it comes true. It's rather like a horseshoe. The smithy takes you a bit of iron stock and you say it will never fit. But after it's been through the fire and hammered and filed, there it is, fitting perfectly to your horse's hoof as if it would never fit any other. It sounds as if you are saying prophets shape their prophecies to be true after the fact. He cocked his head. And a good prophet, like a good smith, shows you that it fits perfectly. Tells Fitz to go to sleep because tomorrow is the big day. Right. So this brings up some interesting thoughts. Um, first of all, that the fool is working towards a future where fate does not tie people down, which we, I think, have touched on before because he has said before, last book, I believe, um, that the whole point of the White Prophet is to get everybody off of the this wheel that keeps spinning time and creating things happening over and over and over again. Nobody should be attached to a fate that they have to follow, Um, which is such an interesting concept because we know that the whole thing is that everybody has the ability to change fate by making choices that are different. Um, But those choices are really hard. So usually they are not made. And then this other idea that perhaps the white prophets are just, People who have really vivid dreams and write them all down and then look back on them and say, see, this was foretold in my dream. Uh It fits perfectly. Told you so. Um, Very Nostradamus. (laughs) So I think that's like an interesting perspective. We get to the next scene here and Fitz is being held down with the healer with big iron clamps ready to pull the arrow out of his back. He's getting held down by Chade, by the Fool, by Ketrakin. And Night Eyes is pacing outside at this point. Mm-hmm. Starling is waiting with clean cloths to put on the wound. Mm-hmm. I think Kettle's there too. Yes. Everyone is is there holding him down and getting ready to help. And it is pulled like he describes. I felt the jaws of the pincers clench. She pulled, ripping my spine up and out of my body, or so it felt. And he fades back into unconsciousness to 
float in the Skill River. I think that this pain is an interesting thing that happens to him because Night Eyes, he's having a hard time explaining to Night Eyes why he can't come in to save him. And he describes it like it's a porcupine's quill that has to be pulled out. It's a necessary pain, and he understands that. <laughs> but is still sharing Fitz's dread. Yeah. And just everyone is probably on edge. Mm-hmm. And so he's in the Skill River floating in there. Only a step away, it had been always only a step away. Surcease from pain and loneliness, swift and sweet. I was tattered away in it, coming undone like a piece of knitting comes unraveled when the right thread is tugged. All my pain was coming undone as well. No, Verity forbade it firmly. Back you go, Fitz. As if he shooed a small child away from the fire, I went. Like a diver surfacing, I came back to the hard bench and voices over me. People are scrambling around this room talking about how there's a lot of blood he sees. It's like those hazy scenes from a movie or a TV show from the point of view of the person getting surgery done on them. That's what I'm imagining. It's like in the ER rushing through the hallways of the hospital with like the nurses chatter in the background and then people like, oh, get 50 cc's of this whatever (laughs) made up terms we use for TV. Right. And there's like bloody cloths going away and he sees the healer heating up an iron to seal and sear the wound closed. So that it stops bleeding. Yes. And he says, wait, I cried in horror and half reared up off the bench only to have Chade catch me by the shoulders. It has to be done, he told me harshly and held me in a grip of iron as the healer came near. At first I felt only pressure as she held a hot brand to my back. I smelled the burning of my own flesh and thought I did not care until a spasm of pain jerked me more sharply than a hangman's noose. The black rose up to drag me down. Hung over water and burned, I cried out in despair. A wolf whined. It's a deep-rooted fear that he's had that it's been drummed into his head over and over since he was a child. If they figure out that you're witted, they will kill you. They will burn you. Right. And so it's something that comes around that he didn't even really know he had. It didn't come out in while he was in prison with the jail on fire. Right. But here, when he's being held down, when he's feverish, when he feels feels the pain pain and smells his skin burning. Then he knows or thinks and that fear rises up. So he fades out and next section he comes back in and overhears conversation again. A conversation between Chade and the fool. But surely you could have come to me at least that he was alive and had come to you. Ida and Ellen are not fool. How often have I trusted you with my closest counsels? Almost as often as you have not, the fool replied tartly. Fitz asked me to keep his presence here a secret, and it was until that minstrel interfered. What would it have hurt if he had left, been left alone to rest completely before that arrow came out? You've listened to his ravings. Do they sound to you like a man at peace with himself? Shade sighed. Still, you could have told me. You know what it would have meant to me to know he was alive. You know what it would have meant to me to know there was a farseer heir, the fool retorted. I told you as soon as I told the queen. Yes, but how long had you known she existed, since you sent Birk to keep watch over Molly? 
You knew Molly carried his child when last you came to visit, yet you said nothing. Jade took a sharp breath and cautioned. Those are names I'd soon as you did not speak, not even here. Not even to the queen have I given those names. You must understand, fool, the more folk who know, the greater the risk to the child. I'd never have revealed her existence save that the queen's child died and we believed Verity dead. Save your hope of keeping secrets. A minstrel knows Molly's name. Minstrels keep no secrets. His dislike of Starling glittered in his voice. So, this is a little strange to me because I thought that Starling had told Ketrick and Molly's name. I guess there's no proof that she didn't. Although Starling says it to Fitz. It's right. Like, yeah, I told Ketrickin that you were alive and that you had to send word to Molly. Right. To hold, hold heart and stuff like that. So maybe Chade doesn't know, wasn't present for that right. conversation with Starling. But also, I totally understand the fool's acidity here. I think his dislike for Starling has grown deeper, if only because Starling got to know the secret that he didn't. Yeah, possibly. I think that hurts the fool's feeling and probably makes him a little jealous that Fitz told this basically stranger <laughs> over him. Mm-hmm. And they continue on that conversation there, too. The fool is pressing Chade here, like, what was the full plan then? Huh? Pass off Fitz's daughter as Verities? Steal her from Molly and give her to the queen to raise as her own? The fool's voice had gone deadly soft. I... The times are hard and the need so great, but not steal her, no. Burek would understand and I think he could make the girl understand. Besides, what can she offer the child? A penniless candle maker bereft of her trade? How can she care for her? The child deserves better, as does the mother, truly, and I would do my best to see that she was provided for also. But the baby cannot be left with her. Think, fool. Once others knew the babe was of farcier lineage... She could only be safe on the throne or in line for it. The woman listens to Birik. He could make her see that. I'm not so sure you could make Birik see that. He gave one child up to royal duty. He may not feel its wise choice a second time. Sometimes all the choices are poor ones, fool, and a man must choose. I hate the way that Chade talks about Molly. I don't like that, first of all, he keeps calling her a girl because um, she's a woman. She birthed a child and is in her 20s. So <laughs> she's a woman. Please stop calling her girl. I know he's super old. That's like an old person thing. And he does still call a Fitz boy. But like, I don't think he should be calling any mother girl. Also, this idea that this is just some little woman who's going to listen to her man and the man will put her in the place and get her to think right. And what could she possibly do? It's not like a, she could provide for her daughter anyway. And I don't know, everything about this tone is so frustrating to read because it's so unfair and it's not giving Molly nearly enough credit. I think Molly would do a lot to provide for her child with or without the farseer's help. And even if it wasn't a farseer heir. You have to you have to think from his perspective, though, because he doesn't care that if she could or could not provide. He's trying to make excuses for himself why he has to relieve fits of a possible happy future with a woman that he loves and their child. 
he's stuttering at the beginning of this section here. He doesn't want to do it. He's like, oh, but times are hard. We need to like make these choices. And his full and complete loyalty is to keeping the six duchies together and getting that Farseer throne. So I think he's justifying to himself, trying to convince himself that's why they can do this like because we need it yes but also we could give her a much better life than this woman could because she's just a village woman we have all the resources right right fool like this is (laughs) this is a good thing yeah i guess that's fair and it is fair to say that like royalty would give a child a better life than a different life some say yeah better in better or worse (laughs) better in Financial stability, I suppose I should say. (laughs) If Fitz is any example, not emotional stability. (laughs) But it just, I just hate that there's this like overlying theme of like, well, Bjork will handle, tame the little lady. And it's like, no, shut up. Like, no, Chade. Absolutely not. She is a grown woman who can make her own choices and she's not going to just be swayed because a man tells her to. (laughs) Oh, I hate that most about it, I think. Fitz makes himself make a noise so they the room knows that he's awake. He decides that he is awake and has to become fully conscious. And Chade is anxious to talk to him and asks him an urgent question. Fitz, tell me one thing. Do you hate me, boy? And for a moment, I didn't know. But the thought of hating Chade meant too great a loss to me. Too few folk in the world cared for me. I could not hate even one of them. I shook my head a tiny bit. But, I said slowly, carefully forming the thick words, don't take my child. I have a conversation here that Fitz is like, don't worry. You know, if Verity's alive, there will be no need for it. Chade. Yes, Chade says, don't fear. What did I say? You said Fitz said. Oh, okay. Yeah, jumbles in my head. I just keep going. (laughs) Chade says... Do not fear if Verity's alive, there will be no need for it. Basically, you know, if King Verity assumes the throne, he can have more heirs. There's no need for that. And Fitz asks him to promise. And Chade just kind of walks away and Fitz has to ask again, like, you you didn't promise me. And he says, no, I did not promise. Times are too uncertain for that promise. Fitz understands the severity of that situation and says, You can have me, I told him quietly, and I will do my best to bring Verity back and do all I can to restore him to his throne. You can have my death, if that is what it takes. More than that, you can have my life, Chade, but not my child's, not my daughter's. He met my eyes and nodded slowly. This is big. Um, Fitz has been fighting his life as Chade's tool since he was six years old, (laughs) essentially. I guess I don't think he met Chade until he was eight, but he's been fighting this for 10 plus years. And here he is giving up the thing that he fears most to save his daughter. Yeah. And this makes me so sad because this is a sacrifice that his daughter will never know about or probably be able to understand the gravity of. 
And I think that this shows that him putting his memories into the girl on dragon is what keeps him from his daughter because he is willing to do the thing he hates most to give up himself to the game of the throne. If that means his daughter can be safe and that doesn't feel like something somebody who's going to avoid his daughter for the next 20 years does. So, but that, that choice is, well, I can, I can agree with you that he might have made a choice within those, I think 15 years or so to go see Nettle before Tawny man, except for the fact that, it makes a lot of sense that the choice he makes at the end of this trilogy is for the whole royal family to agree that he's dead and Nettle is never touched by the Farseers. And that's also protecting his daughter. That's also like the decision of like, I am giving up the rest of my life to see my daughter sacrificing even more, maybe not in the service of the kings and stuff, but keeping myself separate to keep her safe as well. So I, I I hesitate hesitate to say that he would never have gone to his daughter because I think eventually he he would have broken down with all of those repeated skill connections. Right. But at least I believe he would have made the same promise at the beginning. I guess. I don't know. I I think I'm just thinking that his love for his child just seems so strong and his like want to be part of her life feels so strong and I don't feel that he feels that same urgency in the next trilogy and for most of the next trilogy he is still having most of his memories in this girl on a dragon yeah 100% so I wonder if part of this urgency and love comes from a place maybe it's connected to Molly and Burek maybe it's not but maybe part of the pain to his memory of his mom yeah Not knowing his parents. Right. So I wonder if that pain is what pushes him to try to be a good father. Not that he makes decisions that make him a horrible father. I guess I don't know if I can call him a father because he is absent for his entire, like his daughter's entire life, essentially. We can call him a bad father from the last trilogy, but. Right. (laughs) But I, I think it comes from a place of love, even if it isn't a great choice. I don't know. I just I feel like there's some connection between the way that he throws himself in front of a fire, so to speak, to save his daughter now versus how he acts not getting to know her later. Yeah. And you touched on a very sad part of Nettles and Fitz's relationship previously and that was saying like she would never understand the sacrifices that he would made and that's that's literally never happens until like i think the end of the last trilogy when he's saying like his story out loud they 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 reconcile maybe in the last trilogy a little bit more but they've always bashed heads in their relationship and he never lets her in on what happened during his life and why he made the choices he made and I feel like that's a very, very sad part of their relationship. And it's very realistic as well. Yeah. I guess I know that he tells her a little bit about what he did because she gets mad because she's like, that wasn't your choice to make to keep me from this. Right. Um, but I don't know if that is 
at the very beginning of the final trilogy or if that's at the very end of the Tawny Man trilogy. I think it's at the end of the Tawny Man trilogy. And I think that he doesn't tell her a lot of things. One, because he's still quote unquote dead at that point. Right. And two, because she is a child. But there's, I'm thinking of a specific moment where he's like drunk maybe. And he tells her, I always wanted to be part of your life or something. And I don't know, maybe I'm getting events mixed up. It's a a very far way away. We'll get to it eventually, (laughs) no matter what. But I just feel like, because that's after that, she calls him Pa. Yeah. So I feel like that would have to be the third trilogy. Because maybe Beric dies at the end of the next of the next Farseer trilogy, right? Yeah. yeah. So, Tawny Man trilogy. So the next part of this chapter is Fitz's recovery after that surgery that they did, detailing how he's hurting. Nothing is going like it's not smooth. It's not easy sailing from there. How he's going to the hot springs but he's reminded of the last trip that he had in those hot springs. And that's where he almost drowned. That's where beer got clubbed down. That's where nosy died. Right. And so all of this time and all these memories don't lend a peaceful environment for him to recover in. Right. He's just thinking constantly about these thoughts and trying to avoid them. So he's just thinking about the next step of the journey. He also is being bombarded with the skill command come to me from Verity. So even if he wanted to be restful in this time of recovery, he can't because all he can think about is how he wants desperately to go to Verity. Mm -hmm. So he starts pushing himself a little bit more to eat more, to gain more strength. And he starts going on walks. The fool joins him once in a while. He gets to see Sooty and Ruddy and Sooty is extremely... Happy to see him. (laughs) And it makes him go back every single day after that to help take care of her. Yep. He also starts planning his journey of what he's going to do to go to Verity. And he thinks about how he's going to have to talk to Ketrikan pretty soon to look for a map. And he's worried about it because she hasn't come to see him since. Or summoned him. Or summoned him. Which... He's taking as a bad thing. I think she's trying to be nice because he was on the brink of death again. She is very angry at him, though, as well. Well, yes, she's mad. But, like, also, you don't think any any part of it is a little bit of a kindness that she's waiting to be angry into his face? Maybe, but I I don't know. (laughs) Well, anyway, he's thinking about how... That must be done because he needs a map to figure out where to go next and thinking about all the provisions and steps he must make to move on. And he still plans to go alone. He also makes mention that the wolf came and went as he pleased and he joined the fool and him on their walks. But it was almost distressing to see how swiftly he adapted to the hut. The fool was muttering about claw marks on his door and shed fur on his rugs, but they liked each other well enough. A wolf puppet began to emerge in sections from chunks of wood on the fool's work table. Night Eyes developed a taste for a certain seed cake that was also the fool's favorite. The wolf would stare fixedly at him whenever the fool was eating it, drooling great pools of saliva onto the floor until the fool would uh, relent and give him a share. 
I scolded them both about what sweets could do to his teeth and coat and was ignored by both of them. I suppose I felt a bit of jealousy at how quickly he came to trust the fool, until Night Eyes asked pointedly one day, Why should not I trust whom you trust? I had no answer to that. Which I thought was a, a cute little interaction, but it also shows a growing bond between the trio. Yes. All of the three who become one at the end of this. This is kind of the start of that. Yeah, it is a start of the group bond. The only other incident of, I think, Night Eyes meeting the fool was before before traveling to the Mountain Kingdom here and being injured was Night Eyes leading the fool to... Right. Birik's place. Yeah. Right. The night that he escaped. So that's kind of like the only interaction. So even the fool knew that Fitz was. He witted. could have suspected, but it's different from confronting <sighs> them. Sorry. At I'm one just, place. Yeah. I'm just going back to that. What we were talking about before. Cause I was like, maybe the fool didn't know. Okay. Well, Katrickan. It's his worst fear realized. That's why he lingers on it. Right. I, I know. know. I know. I'm just saying <laughs> the fool definitely knew. <laughs> Correcting a mistake. It's also a different reaction, going back to that conversation, a different reaction from Starling, who had heard he was witted, to being confronted with the wolf and then showing fear and revulsion, be like, oh, it's actually true. Like, there's different layers to that. Yeah, that's fair. So Fitz gets a little bit more into the fool's backstory, asks him why he became a toy maker. And the fool says that, he was kind of lost when he came to the mountain kingdom. It's no place for a fool. And he didn't have a desire to be a fool for any saved King shrewd. And one evening, quite drunk, he asked himself what he knew best. Why being a puppet? I replied to myself jerked about by the strings of fate and then tossed aside to crumple in a heap. That being so, I decided I would no longer dance to the strings pull, but would pull the strings. The next day, I put my resolution to the test. I soon discovered a liking for it. And so he says that, you know, the simple toys that he grew up with or the toys that were in Buck even were wondrous and a delight to the children of the Mountain Kingdom. And since the Mountain Kingdom people are taught to be very independent, a lot of the children fished or hunted at an early age. And then that was their take. That was their keep. So they could do with it what they liked. Right. So he didn't have to deal with adults very often which he usually shies away from because he mentions that adults and children both have curiosities, but children are upfront about their curiosity while adults disdain and fear the object of that curiosity. Usually he right. faces a lot more, a, a lot more hate and fear from adults than children. Right. It's such an interesting thing to the way that the fool is treated by adults because as far as we can tell the only thing that is quote unquote odd about him is that he is very pale and I understand more so in the buck kingdom where people are usually people of color so they're they have darker skin yeah um, how that would seem weirder but here in the mountains where the people are pale with blonde hair anyway it seems odd that they would also be struck by this white fellow that's like completely white. I it just I guess I don't feel like I would have that much of a reaction to somebody who was I maybe it would like be shocking to see at first, but I don't think it would like be something I lingered on in thought. 
I would just be like, oh, that's just how they look. Like, I've never seen somebody who looks like that, but that's just what they look like. And thinking of the Mountain Kingdom as a as a whole nation right now, anything from Buck has to be suspicious and hated. They've had a long history of battle with them. They're literally enslaving their towns and burning out their villages. Having somebody from Buck come and stay with them might set the adults on edge. They would be wary of, you know, of war, of anyone from that. He kind of keeps himself secluded, stays away. He just talks with their children. It's just an odd person, and they're not used to that sort of person at all. I suppose, but I guess... People from Buck traveling in pilgrimage to come see him. It's just an odd situation. Yeah, I guess that does make it a little weird, but I mean... I would argue that it can't be that he's from Buck because he doesn't look like he's from Buck because he's technically sure. not. But he speaks the Buck language, I mean, and, that, and has I that guess, accent. Yeah. And well, we don't know if he has a Buck accent. It's true. I, I just, I guess, I assume because he's lived there for fifteen years or whatever. That's fair. Fitz remarks a want of Nettle of his daughter to have bright, shiny. Nice toys. And the fool says, she will. He promised me gravely, she will. I wanted to bring that up real quick at the end of that because I believe the fool does go to visit Burek, drops off Sooty and Ruddy, and brings toys that he made. Yeah, that's fair. I'm pretty sure. I think that happens. I could be just, that could be headcanon. Right. But I think that happens. (laughs) Yeah, I don't I don't know for sure, so I guess I shouldn't comment, but I don't know. I like the idea of it. Fitz is getting stronger and he's feeling better, but he knows his strength isn't where it should be right now. So he's just restless. He's pacing all the time. He's just anxious to get over it. The fool is fed up and you know, juts a table into Fitz's endless pacing and Fitz just kind of goes around it. They laugh about it, but it just goes to show that he is extremely anxious about the future trip. He wants to get going. He hears that tattoo of come to me in his head the whole time. And he's just wanting to get on with everything. Right. I don't, I don't know if I read him as anxious more so than just like, jittery ready to go because of this skill command like i don't know i guess what is that if not anxious but (laughs) (laughs) i guess i always have anxious in the connotation of like actual anxiety yeah anxiety about a thing and i don't think he's anxious about the thing i think he's no anxious anxious to get going yeah yeah so never mind yes i guess i also different different meanings similar though which yeah Yeah. it's (laughs) english language gotta love it he also mentions that Kettle visited often and drove Fitz to distraction with all of her knowledge of the scrolls concerning the White Prophet. Too often they mentioned a catalyst. Sometimes the fool was drawn into her discussions. More often, he simply made non-committal noises as she tried to explain it all to me. He says he almost misks, misses her being quiet and, like, of <laughs> poor disposition uh-huh. because she's talking so much about all of these various things. And he's wondering about where she came from and how a woman from Buck wandered and found all of this knowledge and came back. And he also says that she is slyly deflecting all of his queries into 
her background or her story at all. Yes. Which is typical and is... <laughs> been a constant through all of their the relationship together in the short time he mentions that kettle came though not as often or starling came not as often as kettle and usually when the fool was out and about on errands and she persuaded Fitz to go on walks with her but he is just he's not into those walks as much it's just not as peaceful it's not as it's not as invigorating as draining to him. <laughs> right. Well, I think part of that is from the anger he still holds at her for telling his secrets, which, again, she didn't know he didn't want her to tell him. Right. And also, she's just a chatterbox and he's not. And she's trying to be helpful i'm sure same way that kettle annoys him <laughs> yes i i think that they see that he's down in the dumps and they think oh well we'll just cheer him up with talking and it's like Fitz's least favorite thing in the world so <laughs> but they haven't known him long enough to know that so it's not really their fault they're trying i think he does make note that she that that court life and her seem to agree very well we get a little taste of what she's like when she becomes the bard the court bard at Buckkeep right. as Starling Birdsong and says that it, it very much agrees with her and her lifestyle. She's looking great. She's enlivened. She has like a spring in her step. She's forgotten all her past troubles at this moment. Or she seems to have. She, yes, seems to have is a, is a much better way to say that. He also says an hour or two with her wore me out as if I had been exercising a headstrong filly. I felt a constant pressure from her to agree with her. Often I could not. He makes me nervous, she told me once in one of her frequent diatribes against the fool. It's not his color, it's his manner. He never says a kind or simple word to anyone, not even to the children who come to trade for his toys. Have you marked how he teases and mocks them? He likes them, and they like him, I said wearily. He does not tease them to be cruel, he teases them as he teases everyone. The children enjoy it. No child wishes to be spoken down to. The brief walk had tired me more than I wished to admit to her, and it was tedious constantly def to defend him to her. She makes no reply, so Fitz changes the subject. Right. I feel like this is just Starling trying to find reasons not to like the fool. And to be fair, not all personalities get along. Starling is a very upfront person, and the fool is not. <laughs> He's a roundabout person. He doesn't ever say what he means. And he is very sarcastic and i don't think starling ever is sarcastic <laughs> at least not in a way that can't be immediately told <laughs> we'll discuss it more in the next chapter but it's a pertinent time to bring up that fitz asks the fool why don't you like each other and the fool replies something to the effect of oh it's it's not on that we both don't like each other it's that she doesn't like me and i couldn't care anything about her at all and she thinks that since I'm a man, she should feel some sort of like I should feel some sort of way towards her. And my disinterest and impartialness to her drives her insane and thinks I'm up to something, which. Yes and no, it's very <laughs> unfair to Starling and right. very. They started on much different footing than what the fool puts forward in that tone. Right. It's much more. Probably, like you said, jealousy that Fitz had someone to confide in, but also 
the fool can tell that, yes, she's a minstrel. She told secrets to Ketrakin that Fitz didn't want to be told. The fool can see that and reflect that Fitz doesn't, shouldn't have trusted you and I don't trust you now. That sort right. of thing. It's, it's protectiveness yeah. and a different person entering a situation and he could possibly see something about her future. That's fair. I, uh, I feel bad because I think they would have gotten along if not for the rocky start. Yeah, they could have. I, I feel like they would be decent friends in other situations, but they can't quite get past this. I don't know. It's not that, you know, I don't understand why. It just is a little sad that at the friendship that could have been. Because yes. imagine the two of them together. Are you <laughs> kidding me? She could write songs out of the things that he says. It, I think they would have fun making songs together. I'm sad. <laughs> I'm sad at the loss of this friendship that could have been. <laughs> so Fitz changes the subject in this conversation away from the fool towards Chade. And Starling kind of lights up and explains that Chade is super witty. He can bring even a smile to Ketrickin's face. It is hard to believe he lived in such isolation for years. He draws people to himself like a flower draws bees. He has a most gentlemanly way of letting a woman know she is admired. And Chade? The word bursts from me incredulously. Gentlemanly? Of course, she said in amusement. He can be quite charming when he has the time. I sang for him in Ketrickin the other night, and he was quite gracious in his thanks. A courtier's tongue he has, she smiled to herself, and I could see that whatever Chade had said had stayed pleasantly with her. We get a little taste of Chade from his younger years when he playboy was... Playboy Chade. Yeah, when he was a playboy and the uh, the talk of the court before he quote-unquote died um, <laughs> or was scarred and then left. Yeah, also foreshadowing for how he's going to be with every woman that looks at him ever in the future. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Ugh. I guess he's got game, you know? I mean, hey, he's, like, really old and... He's, like, 60s, right? He's a right? grandfather's age. He's yeah. this, he's older or younger, depending on which book, uh, than Shrewd. And, older. He's older. Right. And that's... Shrewd was a grandpa, and he was, like, not doing well in his old age, so, like... The fact that a young starling is like, ooh, he's cute and he's nice. I love it. It's weird. But also, like, he's got to have good game. <laughs> Maybe he's like a Harrison Ford type. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. George Clooney <laughs> kind of thing. You know? I, get, I don't know. I've never gotten the appeal of George Clooney. <laughs> <laughs> Even when he was young. I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah, he's. it's funny to think of, like, somebody my grandparents' age hitting on a girl and it not being seen as weird and creepy. <laughs> He's just giving them compliments. Come on. Right. Right. At this point, nothing nefarious is probably happening. It's not, but like, he's just a charmer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he says, I could think of nothing to say. And so left her in her pleasant reverie. After a time, she added unexpectedly, he will not be going with us. You know, who, where? I could not decide if my recent fever had left me slow-witted or if the minstrel's mind jumped about like a flea. And so she makes remarks more about their journey and how Chade isn't going with us when we go on uh, to seek Verity. He's not going on this quest. Of course, he'll respect your wishes and make no mention of you when he goes back to Buck to hearten the folk and say that we're going on the quest to find Verity and that Verity lives. Right. 
but only that the queen has set forth to find the king. Right. And he has entrusted Starling with the job of making up little ditties or songs so that he can sing them in taverns. Yes, to to the tune of the old songs that they're easy to remember and can be passed about quite simply and will catch like wildfire wildfire throughout the six duchies. Simple songs saying that Verdi will return to set things right and that a farseer heir will rise to the throne to unite the six duchies in both victory and peace. He says it, it is most important to keep the heart in the people and to keep before them the image of Verdi returning. And Fitz is still focused on that main point, that first one. Us, you said. Us who? And going where? And Starling here is like, are you still feverish? Like, what's going on? Let's go back to the cabin. You're not speaking any sense because to her, it's obvious. Like, yeah, we're organizing the trip. Yeah, you have to come along. But like, Queen Ketrikin is going to find her husband. That's and, what this is. And, and I'm I, coming. Yeah, and I'm coming along. <laughs> and Fitz here is thinking, of course, you know, I had forgotten that it had been this way in King Shrew's court. Why had I expected to be any different here? The plans would be made, the arrangements undertaken, and then they would tell me what they wished me to do, and I would do it. Had not that always been my function, to go to such and such a place and kill that certain man, a man I'd never met before, all on someone else's say? I did not know why it suddenly shocked me so to find all of their momentous planning had moved on without any words from me, as if I were no more than a horse in a stall, waiting to be saddled, mounted, and reined to the hunt. Well... Was that not the bargain I had offered Chade, I reminded myself? That they could have my life if they would but leave my child alone? Why be surprised? Why even be concerned at all? I should simply go back to the fools to sleep and eat and build my strength until called for. This section specifically makes me the most mad out of the whole chapter. And I've been pretty mad this chapter. (laughs) But... Why on earth would they have been consulting with Fitz at all? First of all, he's recovering. Second of all, he's not gone to them once about the plans to go forward. He hasn't gone to them to tell them he expects to go alone and does not want them to come or why that might be. He's not given them a chance to talk about why maybe it would be a better idea if Ketrickin came along too. He's literally just going on as if everybody can read his mind and they read his mind and decided against his wishes on purpose and are trying to hurt him by planning without him. It's so infuriating. I cannot, I get it because this is who Fitz is and he does this a lot, but this is so obtuse to be like, I can't believe they're planning this trip without me after I've been completely avoiding Ketrikin, not going to her or Chade since the whole. She has been avoiding him. He's waiting for her summons. She's the queen. Right. But he's Tom the shepherd. Okay. But is he because he has gone to her without her summons before this? He was her like guard. I'm uh, not guardian. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'm very frustrated. My words are not coming out. He was her. I know her like, chade at one point. Yeah. And he's just like, well, I have to wait because duty says I don't. It just fits. You cannot expect people to give you the courtesy you are not giving to them. And if you want to be part of the decisions being made, you have to be part of the conversation. And that means going to talk to people. I and don't he, think he can make that walk right now. He's recovering. 
He literally had an arrow ripped out of his spine. Sure. <laughs> sure. Like, I, I just don't, I, I don't think that. Okay. So I agree with you that yes, he's being infuriating here. I just think you are too angry with him because he literally could not make that trip if he wanted to. How far away is where Ketrickin staying? Because he's been walking to the stable to take care of Sooty and Ruddy every single day on top of a walk with both Starling and the Fool almost every single day. That's a lot of walking. He could have taken one day to go walk only to the castle and even just spent the night there or asked the Fool or Starling to walk with him. It's... I don't think it's fair to say that there's no way he could have gotten to them. I don't think this is a very big town. <laughs> and I know that the fool lives a little bit outside of where everything, like he's off away from the center of town, but I don't think it's impossible for Fitz to have gotten to this, to be part of the discussion. And yes, part of this is that the queen hasn't summoned him and Chade hasn't summoned him. But he's made it clear that he doesn't like being part of the Farseer name and he doesn't like being part of this conversation. So why what would give them the idea that he wanted to be part of the discussions? Also, he is healing and like maybe they're just trying to be helpful and move things along because they can't wait until he's better to start planning. Like they need to have things ready to go when he's ready to go. I don't I just this like woe is me. Everybody, I can't believe nobody takes me into consideration when I don't ever take anybody else's decisions into consideration really, really bothers me. And it's like one of the few things that really gets me boiled (laughs) whenever I think about Fitz as a character, because I like Fitz and I know that this is part of one of his flaws. He's a flawed character. It just, I don't know, something about this chapter really set me off. So Fitz is down on himself here. And Starling is very anxious because all of a sudden he's kind of confused and quiet. And he says that he assures her that he's fine. But he was just thinking it would be pleasant to help the fool make the puppets for a time. She frowned again. I still do not understand what you see in him. Why do you not come stay in a room near Ketrickin and me? You need little tending anymore. It is time you resumed your rightful place at the queen's side. When the queen summons me, I will go to her, I said dutifully. That will be time enough. I think that proves my point. Just going to say, that's all I'm going to say about it and I'll drop it. But it does prove my point (laughs) that he is well enough to go to Ketrickin if he wanted to. And he is hiding behind duty after this whole somber thing. But I think he is avoiding Ketrickin just as much as she is staying away from him. So be true. Yeah. Yeah. Cause she didn't seek out any opinions from him or Che didn't talk to him about plans either. They're just kind of making them. I can see both sides. I do too. <laughs> no, you I, don't. But, but, yes, I do. I just don't think it's fair that he's like clearly not made an effort to go see her. And then is mad that they've done the same. It, mm, no, they could be very mad that he has not done the same to them. Yeah. They could be, but Fitz doesn't take that into consideration. I don't know. That's, I think what I'm mad about. No, 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 no. I'm saying that like we get to view inside of Fitz's head and he's mad that they haven't taken him into consideration, but Ketrickin and Chade could be equally as mad as Fitz is that Fitz hasn't reached out. 
You know, they yes. could be equally self-delusional that it's the other per- party's responsibility. Right. Yeah. Right. I was trying to say that, yes, they are equally to blame for not going to him. I understand that, like, they could also be delusional, like you said. But, like, we're in Fitz's mind, so it's Fitz's problem right now. I don't—I guess that's on me because I kind of don't care what their problem is because I'm not in their head and I don't—I'm not as close to them. Mm-hmm. And so their flaws don't feel as big. That's a better way to explain it because I— from what you said before, the way I understood what you were saying was just like, that doesn't matter. It's all on Fitz and right. his issue. Yeah. With this. Okay. So I didn't. Yeah. Right. That That's where I wasn't getting okay. the connect. Like, because I, I understood you weren't understanding what I was trying to say, but I couldn't tell which part you didn't understand. Yeah. So I, you, like, I don't talking. think you ever out loud said that because we're only in Fitz's head. We only give the spots. So this is all I can see. That's fair. I just like because we're only in Fitz's head, I can tell which parts are Fitz's right, fault. Right. Right. So, like, yeah. I don't care what their fault is at this point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just because of the the next chapter and how mad everybody is at him, I just feel so bad for Fitz in general because he is blamed for a lot of things. And yes, he withholds a lot of secrets, and that's kind of the point of this chapter. But so does everybody else. And yeah. to the detriment of Fitz and his life. And that's something that comes into light next chapter as well that we'll talk more about. But he, from his perspective, what Chade and Ketrickin are proposing is so morally wrong to him. Right. That he is like willing to throw away his life to correct it. And what they think is this might be bad, but we're saving the kingdom. And it's just such a, such a quandary. And I, I really connect more to like, this is morally wrong than trying to save the kingdom. That's fair. That's where I'm coming from of like, I just feel bad for him. And I guess it's not fair because I'm not expressing as much how bad I do feel for Fitz. Mm -hmm. I do feel really bad for Fitz. I think I'm more looking at just this chapter and just what is happening in Fitzhead mm-hmm. this chapter. And next chapter, I'll probably express more of my sorrow for Fitz <laughs> and what he's going through and talk more about the problems with the way the other people are thinking. But this chapter is so heavy on internal dialogue that is inherently selfish i would say that it's easier to be mad at fits in this moment right. because i can directly see the things going wrong in his line of thought and so like i don't i like it's the I, curse and blessing of a first person point of yes. view and like i said i like fits I, I think he's a great character i just hate this habit i hate the habit of I don't have to think about anybody else's feelings, but they all have to take me into consideration. It's inherently selfish, which is strange because he doesn't seem like that selfish of a character at any other point. It's just whenever it comes to what he wants to do with life versus what other people want to do with their life, it doesn't matter what they want to do if it's his choice to change their life. But when they do the same thing to him, that's... A no-go. I just, like that part think, really bothers me. I think in general it's because that he has had no control over his life at all up to the past year. And so when he had a modicum of control or a glimpse that he could direct his life in a certain way, 
that being taken away again is such an abrupt like return back to form of what he doesn't want to go back to right. that it really, really upsets him. Right. Which is not excusable. It's just understandable. And yeah. it just goes to show that it, he's so well written as a conflicted and yeah. <laughs> faulty character. And I don't know, it's it's wonderful to read through all of the, yeah. the progressions of emotions. Well, I think it's a good marker of character just writing in general because mm-hmm. it is very human to have these inherently selfish thoughts even if you are a good person yeah it of course you're going to center yourself everybody is their own main character and even though Fitz feels like he's not <laughs> the main character most of the time we know him as the main character I don't know it just is it's well done and I really enjoy as <laughs> I feel bad because I feel like I'm angry a lot especially this book and I don't know how to like juxtaposition that with my joy at being able to feel this angry about a fictional character. Like (laughs) nothing in this book will ever affect my life in real life. Like nothing that happens in this book will, will ever be physically possible to change any aspect of my life. (laughs) And I am angry at this boy for making these choices. Like that's incredible. That is amazing that it's willing to do that. And I want to like voice when I get those strong feelings because I think that's what art is. Yeah. That's it's there to evoke emotions. Yes. And that's like the skillful writing of Robin Hobb is that like this fake made up world that has no consequence of our own to our own makes me mad. <laughs> and I want to just take Fitz by the collar and go, listen here, you little <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah. I gotta speak up if you want something and you can't expect people to read your mind. And you know, <laughs> and then I'll give him a little kiss on the head and pat and be like, all right, now remember, go tell him what you want. And <sighs> that's all I Do want. Better. I, I want to wrap him up and give him a little hot cocoa and like <laughs> give Night Eyes some good pets. Like I want to give him a break, but he doesn't get a break. And so I'm going to be harsh. <laughs> also, he'll never know. He'll never right. know that I'm mad at him. So, <laughs> And so don't make us read your mind. Send us your thoughts. Yes. Email us what you guys think. Send us a comment or a DM or anything like that. We have an email, isfitshappy at gmail.com, where you can talk to us directly through there. Or you can go to our website, isfitshappy.com, and we have links to all of our social medias on that at the top bar. And also, we have links to places where you can listen to our podcast. So if you have a, a preferred platform, you can go ahead and click on there. Or if you have friends who don't know where to find us, Direct them to our website. <laughs> just, re- just remember that I have already made the decision to what you're allowed to say. If you don't follow that, it'll be devastating. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> no, please. The, the best emails are the ones that honestly disagree with us. Yes. It, those are great. They're good. They're always Make us good. think something different. So Yes. We like hearing all opinions. It's great. And I promise to be less angry next week. <laughs> Don't make that promise. It might not happen. Okay, maybe not. We'll see. Uh, Maybe I'll be less angry at Fitz next week. That's my promise. (laughs) (laughs) I'll go easier on him. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for tuning in. Looking forward to uh, seeing your smiling faces next week, (laughs) even though we can't literally see them. (laughs) Talk to you soon.